Hello, First Burleson. How are you today? Awesome. So glad to hear that. Uh, Kelsey and I, over this past weekend, had a birthday party for our two-year-old Caleb. And yeah, it was great. We had some friends there. And something that was confusing or hard for us to think through was, how do we do a birthday party safely right now? And the only answer was a lot of work. Uh, We had essentially three different parties throughout the day for Caleb. We had our first group of people over to the house early in the morning, uh, those that are being more cautious right now. Uh, We had our second group midway through the day, uh, those people who are um, getting around people more but still staying a little bit distant. And the last group of people are those that are hugging and fist bumping and getting really close and talking to your face and all kinds of uh, crazy stuff. And uh, so it was just a way for us to be able to celebrate Caleb uh, that day and get as many people to see him as possible. Uh, And it's something we actually learned from our church, the way that we're modeling things right now. Uh, So if you're online and you haven't been here yet, just so you know, we have a wristband system. We have red wristbands, yellow wristbands, and green wristbands, depending on what you're comfortable with uh, socially distancing. So if you have a green one, that means anyone at any time can come up to you and give you a hug. Um, So I'm the type of person that probably wouldn't wear a wristband even whenever it's perfectly safe, because that freaks me out. I don't want you to come up behind me and surprise me with a hug. I'd be a yellow wristband guy all the time, which the yellow wristband means that you can Uh, You feel more comfortable talking and getting close, but maybe no physical contact yet. And the red means, please stay away from me. This is uh, my circle. Nobody gets inside this sphere. Please stay far, far away from me. And if you want to talk, you can call me and we'll stand on opposite ends of the room and we can talk to each other over the phone. Uh, Whatever you're comfortable with, we have a a place for you here at First Burleson. Uh, Also, we talked about this, that um, we have now hundreds of campuses all across Burleson and the world because we believe that if you're watching church online, that your home is now the church. And that's true for you if you're here too. Um, You don't get to come to church anymore. Our church is going out into our neighborhoods, into our city. So if you have a place of residence that you call a home where you live, whether you own or rent, that place is now a church where you are operating ministry out of. Uh, But these are decisions that that came to through prayer. We are a church that prays. And we're in the middle of a series right now called Pray More. It's called Pray More because we believe that we should be praying more. And last week, we talked about why we should be praying. We looked at two of God's attributes, his sovereignty and his unchanging nature, about why those are reasons we should pray, even though some people see them as a reason we should pray less, they are actually reasons we should pray more. And today, we're going to be looking at what happens when we pray, like what is actually spiritually taking place whenever we enter into a prayer, and we'll end it next week with how to pray, and we'll dissect uh, a a good way to pray. Uh, But the key to all of that is the best way is to pray. If you're not praying right now, start praying. There is no prerequisite to prayer. You just have to be praying in the right direction to the right person. That's it. And we we can work with you from there. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about what happens when we pray. So we're going to be looking at two scriptures at the start of each of these sermons, 2 Chronicles 7.14 and Ephesians 3.20, if you want to turn to there. And if you want to hold your place in Romans chapter 8, if you have have three strings on your Bible, I think you can accomplish that. 
Um, but Romans chapter 8 will be there for some significant time as well today. But 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We need to pray because we have a land that is not well. We have sins from our past and sin today that I believe God wants us to be praying about. Now that is a nationwide issue, but it's also an individual issue as well. There are issues in our lives that we need to be praying about. There are issues in our nation that we need to be praying about. We need to be praying for both. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. There is power that works in you. We talked about this last week, that God in his sovereignty extended stewardship, authority, and power to us to take care of this earth. And the earth is not well, the land is not well, the people are not well, so we need to be praying more. God is wanting to bring healing, so why are we not praying more? And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above what we could ask or even imagine. This is what I believe. God can do more through our trials than we could ever do with our blessings. God is able to accomplish more through our trials than we could ever hope to accomplish through our own blessing and privilege. So why are we not praying more? And today, of course, we are talking about what happens when we pray. And before we begin to the first point, I want to state this. If we only knew what God was doing whenever we prayed, we would never stop. We would pray without ceasing because we'd have a full understanding of what he was doing. We would never stop praying. So the first key to understanding what takes place whenever we pray is to know this. When you pray, you are not starting a conversation. And this is a really cool thing that I like to teach because not a lot of people understand this part about who God is and what the Holy Spirit does. But before you ever begin praying, the Holy Spirit was already praying on your behalf. He is already interceding for you. And when you think about that, it's kind of weird because God is praying to himself. And we're going to look at how that works. If you look with me in Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 26, and we're going to look at verse 26 first. We'll also read 27 in a little while, but I want to focus on verse 26. It says this. This is Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Whenever we are weak, the Spirit is helping us, which I don't know about you, but I pretty much always feel weak, especially in light of how much control I have over the world today, which is pretty much none. We do not know what we ought to pray, but, thank goodness for the but, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless 
groans. The Spirit himself, the God's Holy Spirit, is in us praying on our behalf before we ever step into prayer. So we are actually not starting a conversation with God, but there was one already happening inside of us. And the best illustration I had for this was the day that Caleb was born. Uh, Again, he turned two uh, last Wednesday. July 29th was his birthday. And I remember we went into the hospital. Like we drove, it was like 11.30 p.m. We were driving up there, got there around 12. Didn't admit us first because they thought Kelsey wasn't fully in labor. But after about an hour of her walking around the hospital, uh, they finally said, okay, yeah, you're, you're fully in labor. Let's get you into the triage. She stayed there, and we were in that room for, well, from 12 a.m. until uh, 6 p.m. So 18 hours, about 18 hours of labor. My math might be wrong. It's hard to think up here, I'm, I'll be honest with you. But <laughs> we were in there for many, many hours. And towards the end, uh, a lot more doctors and nurses started coming in. And they were talking about maybe doing an emergency C-section. Caleb was stuck. And then we lost his heartbeat. And there had been so much struggle up to this point. I was delirious. I could barely think straight. And I remember I just began to pray. And there's a story in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 when Hannah, she is desperate for God to bless her with a child, that she begins to pray. And she's praying so intensely that her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. It's like this wordless um, prayer from like deep in the gut. And that's what happened in that moment. I started praying, oh Lord, God, please, oh Lord, God, please let him live. God, please, God, please. And like that's the only thing I could get out over and over again was, oh Lord, please, oh God, please, please, please. I'm not articulating a well-versed prayer. I'm not articulating the fact that I want God to uh, go in, touch Kelsey's womb, and open it up, and allow Caleb to come in. Like, I'm not articulating a well-versed prayer, but I can take comfort in knowing that on my behalf, in that moment, God was praying through the Holy Spirit on my behalf. Before I even got to that point even, God was praying for me. And here's the really good news. Look at verse 27. It says, And he, who is God, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So not only is the Holy Spirit praying on your behalf, but he is praying God's perfect will for your life. He is praying God's perfect will for your life. And there's not a whole lot written on what that might look like. There are commentators who have tried to like uh, dissect dissect scripture and figure out, okay, what might that prayer sound like? The Holy Spirit is praying God's perfect will for my life in this situation. What kind of prayer would that be? And we can only understand that in human terms. And I really liked this example that I read in a commentary while preparing for this message. It says, uh, we may be praying for a new job for many different reasons. Could be frustrated with a boss, could be a toxic situation, uh, could be we don't like our coworkers that much, could be we want advancement or promotion, we feel like we could be doing more. There's a million different reasons why some of us might want a new job. Could be we don't have one. So this is an example of what I think a prayer from the Holy Spirit might sound like, but understand this is from a human perspective, so it's very limited. But this is what I think it might go like. 
It'd be, he thinks, this is the Holy Spirit praying to God, he thinks he wants a new job because he's wary of the pressure. But I know it is your will that he learn to depend entirely on you. So Father, please don't give him that new job right now, but give him supernatural strength and please send a Christian along to him that might give him some encouragement to help him, uh, to help him uh, uh, see the next day and stay where he's wanting to do. And because the Holy Spirit is always praying according to the will of God, that prayer is always answered. And that's good news. The Holy Spirit's prayer on your behalf, they are always being answered because it's God's perfect will. So understand, we are not starting a new conversation, but we are entering into one that's already happening on our behalf. The words of Henry Viscardi uh, kind of bring this truth home in a really powerful way. It says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do even better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I could have hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I am among all men most richly blessed. And he can say that not because he got what he wanted, but because God gave him what he needed. He gave him what he needed to have. Whenever you pray God's will, your prayers get answered. And it's always a yes. Whenever you pray maybe a more self-focused prayer that's out of line with what God's will is, he also answers that prayer. And it's always going to be a no. And it's always going to be for your benefit. Every time. And it's not only, this is the good news, it's not only the Holy Spirit that's praying on our behalf, it's also the Son, Jesus. Look further down at Romans 8.34. It says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. That's a message in itself right there. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So in the kingdom of heaven, in the throne room right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in a place of power and authority and position. And on your behalf, he is interceding for you. You have an advocate and a high priest in the heavens who on your behalf is praying and talking to God, his perfect will for you. And one Bible commenter said this. He doesn't know what that conversation might sound like, but this is his idea. We might find him, Jesus, employing in that wonderful intercessory prayer, which he spoke as from within the veil, Father, 
I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That's from John 17, 20, when Jesus is praying for those disciples that are with him and also the future church, that we would be one together just as the Father and the Son are one and that we would be one with him. And this is a perfect example of why the Holy Spirit operates in this way. Holy Spirit is speaking to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the Father, and we are invited into this conversation that is happening. We are not starting a new conversation, but entering into one that is already happening on our behalf. I've talked to a few people who struggle with praying uh, what they would call a selfish prayer, praying a prayer on their behalf, but understand that God is praying his will for your life at all times, and it does not stop. He doesn't sleep. The Holy Spirit never sleeps. So even whenever you are in bed at night, the Holy Spirit on your behalf is lifting up God's perfect will for you, and that's happening all the time. And there's a cyclical nature to this as well. Let's look at uh, John, turn to John 15, you have it. Well, so I'm going to spend, actually, John chapter 16. And before we read that together, it's going to be 16, 12 through 15. Um, I just want to keep this verse from John 15, 15 in mind. It says, Jesus did not speak his own word, but said, everything that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Then later in 16, 12, it says this, I still have many things to say to you, This is him talking to his disciples, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak truth to you. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So the Spirit does not speak on its own behalf, but speaks what it gets and receives from the Son. He will glorify me. He'll speak and declare things to you that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's a line that's made here. So this is the the cyclical nature of this conversation. The Holy Spirit in you right now is praying God's perfect will on your behalf. That prayer is getting and going up and being sent to Jesus. Jesus takes that prayer, intercedes on your behalf to the Father. The Father takes that, tells the Son the truth about whatever that circumstance is. The Son gives that to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks that truth to you. And that is taking place inside of you right now, whether you're aware of it or not. God is for you. He has called you and justified you and glorified you. Jesus died for you and is right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you to help you overcome any area of weakness. And with the divine trinity on your team, how could you possibly lose? Amen. Amen. So that's the cyclical nature that's happening. And so understand this. Prayer is happening on your behalf right now, and it's multidirectional. And the Holy Spirit's talking to Jesus, Jesus to the Father, Father to Jesus, Jesus to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to you. And we need to have a different approach to prayer, I believe. 
We need to approach prayer not as us starting a conversation or activating the thoughts in the mind of God, but understand that his mind is already for you. He is already well aware of what you're facing. He already knows your weakness. He already knows your trial. He knows the things that you are going through, the things that you are concerned about, the things that you are afraid to tell other people. He is well aware of them, and he wants to speak truth into each and every one of those circumstances, but you will never be able to understand that truth unless you are connected to him by praying. Last week, we talked about how God's sovereignty and his unchanging nature are a reason why so many people don't pray as much as they should, when in fact, they really should be praying more. And understand this, just because the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf does not mean you should be praying less. In fact, it means you should be praying more because prayer is going to connect you into the heart of God. And you'll be able to see and know things through that lens of God's will and his nature for your life. But if you never connect through prayer, you're going to start interpreting the things in your life through your own wisdom. And you can get into a lot of trouble with that. Point number two is this. When we pray, we connect to truth. When we pray, we connect to truth. Uh, For the past few weeks, I've been meeting with each of our life group leaders doing some one-on-one meetings. Uh, And that is one of my favorite parts of my job. I love getting to hear from our life group leaders and we have some fantastic leaders. You may not be aware of this, but for the last four months, it has been really difficult to lead a church and to lead life groups. It's been really hard. But our life group leaders here at First Burleson have done an incredible job. So thank you, life group leaders. You are killing it. Um, There's still a lot more work that we need to do. But something that's come out of these conversations is a sentiment that is growing more and more each and every day. And that is, it is harder and harder. It is more difficult day after after day to know what the truth is. It seems like whenever you turn on the news, read anything on Twitter, read an article from the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, whatever publication you read, you could read... Uh, six different articles about the same subject that presents the same set of facts, but walk away with 10 different opinions. And it's so hard to know what the actual truth is behind these sets of facts. And that's true for COVID. It's true for uh, racial matters here in the United States. It's true for a lot of things. And the same is true for your life. The same is true for my life. I can look at all the facts of my life, who I am, what I've done, and come out with a hundred different conclusions about who I am. If I wanted to look at who I used to be, I, I know that I'm a child of divorce. I was friendless through most of school until I got into late middle school and high school, moved around so much that it was difficult to make friends. I didn't know if I was going to uh, be with those same people a year later. So I learned how to make walls for myself and close myself off. And I could have come out of that with the conclusion that I'm not, uh, I'm not loved or I'm not cared for, or I'm not a good friend, or I can never make friends, and I can think of myself as a friendless person, or I could look at my early college years and think about how I rebelled against God and the church and did some really dumb things and think, man, I will never be worthy to preach truth. I'll never be worthy to uh, do what God's called me to do. God can never use me here, and he can never use me in this way because I'm worthless. But the truth is, that God 
God's truth, God's truth for us, sorry, God's truth for us is so much bigger than what we believe about ourselves because God's truth is the truth. And we can look at a different set of facts for our lives and come away with the conclusion that we are not worthy of his love. We are not worthy of forgiveness. And the truth is we're really not. But God said that we were and he said, or he did things to show us how much he loved us by dying on a cross, by shedding his blood, by calling us children. He said that I loved you. I will place you into positions for my will to be done through you. I will do things in your life that you would never imagine. I will do things that you cannot even conceive of. I will do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that you could ever ask or imagine or think or even begin to think. And so many of us, we can look at who we were and come up with the wrong conclusion because we forget to take into account God's truth about us. Paul said it this way, He looked at his accomplishments and he said, if anyone has a reason to be confident in his flesh, it's me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. For my zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And so even whenever you regard things to the truth of who God is, you can't rest on your accomplishments to define who you are. And you can't allow your past and your failures to do that either. Because the only truth that matters is what God has proclaimed over you, what he has done for you, what he wants to do in you and through you. But you won't ever understand that unless you're connected in prayer. What happens when you pray? You get connected to the truth. You put yourself in the presence of a father who loves you, who wants to speak to you, who wants to tell you who you are. This is good news because that means that trial you're going through right now that you've been praying about, but you haven't been delivered out of yet. God isn't done with you in that trial yet. There's something he's wanting to do in you. There's something he's wanting to build you through that. And we can take heart even in the midst of the trial because we know that God is good. His unchanging nature says that he is good. He is for me. He is loving. He's not done with me yet. And I can face that trial, like Paul said, with contentment, not because of what I have or what I've done, but because of who he is. And unless I'm praying, unless I'm reading this word, that truth that is more true than anything I could ever hope to figure out for myself won't be true for me. Not because it isn't true, but because my mind hasn't connected it yet. Because I haven't spent that time in prayer. What happens when you pray? You know truth. You get connected to the source of truth. So we have to ask, why are we not praying more. When we refuse to pray, we can expect disappointment, confusion, and darkness, whether you're in a trial or you are being blessed beyond all measure, because the prayer helps bring perspective to both. And so whenever you feel like you're in a blessed time, you recognize where that blessing comes from. 
and it doesn't, it, it doesn't exalt your opinion of yourself, but it will actually humble you. And whenever you're in the trial, which I don't know anybody who's not right now, by the way. I don't know anybody who's not walking through a trial right now. You'll be able to walk through that trial, not because you know that you can get yourself through it, but because you know God is walking with you. And your truth, God's truth becomes your truth. And you see things through his eyes. You start to think things with his way of understanding. You start to walk in his steps. You start to speak with his voice. We may not know exactly what he's trying to accomplish, but we can know peace and we can know joy because we know who he is. But it won't happen if you're not praying. So please pray more. That's our challenge today. Pray more. Wherever you're at right now, just take whatever that next step is. The, the specific challenge I have is building off of last week. Pray for at least five minutes for five days in the next week in three different places. Pray for your community, which is your church, your family, your city. Pray for our nation and pray for our world. Pray for these things. God is wanting to bring healing to this land. He's wanting to bring healing to you as an individual and into our community. But we need to be praying for that to happen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you are wanting to do and accomplish. And we believe, God, we align ourselves with the truth of who you are right now. And we ask, God, that you would align our hearts with that. Father, what you are willing, God, what you're wanting to do is what we want to happen, Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, show us where our daily bread comes from. God, teach us to forgive one another. Lord, give us a conviction to pray for our families, for our community, for our nation, for our world. God, would you lay a burden on us, Father, to look inside of ourselves for what needs to change and outside of ourselves into the world around us to see what you're wanting to accomplish and do and to get in line with that, Father, so we can know the truth what you're wanting to do in us and through us. God, we love you. We thank you. You're good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.